Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, uh, we come with hearts full of thanksgiving and praise, God, that you are a gracious God, that you are so patient, Lord, that you are long-suffering with us. Uh, God, we oftentimes uh, forget. Uh, we thank you that each Sunday that we could come and that your word could be open to us and that the very word of God could be expounded. Lord, we are in need to hear from you today. And we pray that you would speak to us through your word. God, that you would um, so work to, to, to stir us up, not in our own abilities or that we might try harder, but God, that we might rest in your grace and in the grace of your gospel. We thank you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it's good to, to see everybody here this morning. Um, I know a lot of folks have uh, been traveling, and it's good to have folks uh, pretty much back with us. And uh, it's good to see everyone's smiling face. And to open God's Word with you this morning. Um, recently, I was uh, reading a, a survey that I think was taken back in the later part of 2018. And it said that only... One-third of Americans trust their government to do the right thing. Now, think about that just for a moment. That's sort of a shocking statistic. That means if you're walking down the street, two out of three people that you meet and greet don't trust their government. 42% trust the media. That means 58% of Americans do not trust the media. And trust seems to be something that's sort of eroding in our society in which we live. I mean, even businesses, non-governmental organizations continue to, to drop in the eyes of the general populace. Even the church is uh, sort of has a black eye in terms of people's perception and trust of it. We are seeing in our nation an ever-increasing population of skeptics when it comes to th authority which lends itself to a society of people who view themselves as the standard or the authority by which to judge and to hold accountable all those in authority over them. Now think about that just for a moment. What we're saying is, is that if I'm a typical American, I'm only going to follow those in authority over me if I trust them and I deem them worthy of my service. Now think about that. Think about that as a Christian and ask yourself, to what extent has that kind of thinking maybe infiltrated your own thinking? Or how do you see that uh, having its way in your household? How do you see that in your kids? How do you see that in your family? And then, how do you reconcile that? This cultural attitude with what the Bible says about authority in places such as Romans 13, where Paul says that God is the ultimate authority and those authorities that have been established have been established by God. And whoever resists these authorities resists God who has appointed them. And you might say to me, now wait, Pastor Rick, you know, Romans 13 isn't all that the Bible says about authority. There's other things as well. And I would say that's true. I'll, I'll grant you that. But we must admit that there is a huge difference between what we read in Scripture about how we are to view and to relate to authority and that which we see in the world. 
And this morning, what I want us to think about is, what effect does the gospel have upon us in terms of our view of authority and our relationship with others, either who are in authority over us or in whom we have authority over? Uh, We've been looking at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 and following uh, most recently. And what we've seen is, as you look at Ephesians, is, is that Paul talks about what the gospel is. And he gives a wonderful explanation of it. It's very humbling to see that we were dead in our sins and that we don't approach God, but God has rescued us. He has made us new creatures in Christ and not only has saved us individually, but as the church. And he has not only saved us from our sins, but he set us free from the bondage of sin. And he has enabled us as his children to love one another and to be imitators of God, as we read in chapter 5, verse 1. But what he says in Ephesians 5, 21 is not only that, but the gospel has worked itself so much in the lives of God's people as they follow in Christ that they are set free to be mutually submissive to one another. So here we are as individuals, as we are born sinners, everything is about me. And the sooner you people realize that, the better off we'll all be, right? Don't we all function that way as we are born? But as Christ sets us free, he allows us to understand that that's not true, that God is the center of all things. And so we begin to see the gospel worked out in our relationships, first of all, in our marriages. So we saw in chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, and the relationship between husbands and wives. Last week, Ben talked about the relationship between parents and, and children and how the gospel comes to bear upon that. And today I get the privilege of sharing with you that of the relationship between slaves and masters. Now, this section could be a little tricky. And, and I say that for, some reason, for, for several reasons. One reason is that I don't know too many households in our church that have slaves. And so we look at this, and of course the first question is, is how are we to understand this text? And I think oftentimes sort of the default way of understanding that is to say, well, we don't have slaves and masters, but the closest thing maybe to this is employers, employees, so yeah, we'll go with that. So we'll sort of apply that to our work world. And I would suggest to you that that's not a bad application, but that's not the extent to how we can apply this uh, text to our lives. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I think that there's also sometimes another struggle that people sometimes have. And, and that is that they focus on the institution of slavery in Paul's days and they get hung up on that. And so they don't hear what Paul has to say today. And today I'm not going to unpack the Bible's view of slavery. I just want to let it suffice to say that Paul is using this ancient relationship of slave and master not to teach that slavery is the ideal or that God has approved slavery. And if you don't believe me, you can just jot this verse down and look it up later. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, just one verse. We could look at many others. It talks about abominable uh, actions in the eyes of the Lord. And one of those is a person who enslaves others, an enslaver. And so we know that this isn't what God... Desires, But rather the Apostle Paul is seeking here to teach the importance of what it means to submit to Christ and obeying and honor by obeying and honoring those in authority over us. 
And, and I want to commend to you, we're not going to take the time to look at it this morning, but the larger catechism, questions 123 through 133, talk about this whole idea of authority and submission. The, the language that the catechism uses is superiors, inferiors, and equals. Now, don't get hung up on that language. Okay, when we hear superiors and inferiors, there's just something in us that just like, that doesn't sit right with me. Just understand that's the language of the 1600s. It's okay. Just in, for superiors, just substitute those in authority over others. And for inferiors, just substitute those who are under authority. Okay, if you do that, then you'll be fine. But read through that, and it talks about the duties and the sins of superiors and inferiors and, and equals. But today, what I want us to see is, is that Paul is saying that whether a person lives under authority or, or is in authority over another, that person must learn to live under the lordship of Christ in light of the gospel. And for most of us, we live in both places, don't we? We're not usually people who are in authority over others or under authority. We're usually both at the same time. There's some aspects of our lives in which we have responsibility for other people. And we're in authority over them. It may be at work. Maybe we're supervised people. Or maybe it is in the home or as a teacher or in the military or many other places. But we may also be under authority as well. And uh, so Paul is speaking to all of us in the various areas of our lives as we relate to others with whom uh, we have authority. So Paul wants us to see, first of all, that our identity is not primarily defined by our position in this world, by our social or economic status, but by our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul wants us to see that whatever our position is in life, we ought to see ourselves as slaves of Christ. Look at verse 6. Uh, actually, I keep using the word slave. I, I prefer that. I think that's a better translation. I, I sort of like how the New American Standard, I'll go with the New American Standard this week, uh, in slaves. The ESV says bond servants, which is okay, but, but slave seems to be better. And, and Paul describes us as Christians as slaves of Christ. And if we understand ourselves as slaves of Christ, there's really three implications that we're going to see from our text today. And the first of all is that there, as a slave of Christ, our obedience is first of all to God, not to man, not to people. It is first of all to God. Look at verse 1. He says, Bondservants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now, the word that he uses here, the first thing he tells us that a slave is to do is to obey. That sounds like a, a good thing. But it's interesting that the word that he uses here is the same word that he uses in verse 1 when he's talking about parents, or I mean children, obeying their parents. Uh, and, and it has at its main root, as Ben sort of pointed out last week, to hear or to listen. It means to pay attention and to follow instructions. It is to listen to those in authority and diligently to carry out the task that is given to us. In the same way that children are to listen to their parents and do what they say, because that's right in the Lord, it is God's created order that we also obey those who are in authority over us. Now, 
here again, we have just like the other sections that we've looked at in sort of this mini-series on mutual submission, uh, we need to be careful that we don't take this out of context. You know, he, he tells us that we are slaves who are to obey our earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So you are to obey those who are in authority over you as long as it doesn't contradict the word of God. So if your boss tells you to fudge a bit on the number of hours that you bill a client just so the company can make a little bit more money, you're not to do that. Because that's lying. That's deception. And so we are to obey the Lord. Now, how are we to obey the Lord? What is that attitude? What does that look like? Well, he says here that we are to do so with fear and with trembling. Now, when you hear that, especially when we uh, sort of pair it together with our concept of, of slavery, we might mistakenly picture slaves sort of cringing as their master has a whip over them to, to whip them. And that's not at all what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about this slavish fear, um, but he's talking about, as some translators want to say, to respect those in authority over us. If you look back at chapter 5, verse 33, uh, it says that wives are to respect their husband. That could also be translated revere your husbands. Um, and so the word in chapter 6, verse 5, and 5, verse 33 is the same word. And so there are some who would suggest that, that what Paul is saying here is, is that we are to respect those in authority over us. And the Bible does does speak of that. It does talk about in 1 Peter chapter 2 that uh, slaves are are to do that, that they are to respect their, their masters. But I believe that Paul has something even more so in mind here. Yes, we are to respect those people that are in authority over us, but the phrase fear and trembling occurs throughout the Bible almost exclusively refers to sort of a sense of awe and fear that we have before God. It is understanding who God is and who we are in relationship to him and acting in such a way that gives reverence to God, recognizing he is our creator, recognizing he is our redeemer. He is the one who has saved us even when we were dead in sins and we come to him in, in reverence. Just think about the picture of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 as he sees the glory of God and he is overwhelmed with the presence of God. Uh, let me just give you one example of that where we see that in Scripture. Uh, a very familiar passage, Philippians 2, verse 12. Uh, what does Paul say? But that we are to work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. There is that attitude. But, but also, if you look at the parallel passage to this of Ephesians, it's over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Colossians 3, 22. Uh, Paul says this, he says, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, what? Fearing the Lord. So the fear here seems to be directed at the Lord. So yes, we can have respect for our earthly masters, but it only comes because 
We fear the Lord. And, and just so I can sort of drive this point, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but I do want to drive this point home for a reason that Christ is to be our focus. That as slaves of Christ, that the, the obedience, the service that we do is for him. That, it, that's found throughout this passage. Let me just look at verse 5. He talks about obey your earthly masters just as you would obey Christ. Or verse 6, obey them not only to win their favor, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. In all of those, Christ is the focus. In verse 7, serve sincerely as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Verse 8, knowing that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does. In all of these verses, he keeps before us the motivation of our service is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very clear that that is the focus. You see, he wants to keep that before us because he knows that not everyone who in authority acts in such a way that is respectable. Is that true? I don't have to tell you, you know, if you, if you, kids, if you have a teacher, you know, not all your teachers are perfect. Maybe if you're homeschooled, they are. I'm not going to talk about against mom. But, you know, not all your teachers are perfect. Not all your supervisors at work uh, or, or other bosses are perfect. And they oftentimes, you know, we know that our government's not perfect. Law enforcement officers, bless their hearts, they have a tough job. But they're not perfect in everything they do. And it's so easy for us to look at those that God has placed an authority over us and for us to, to consider whether we will obey them or not or respect them or not based upon the way that they treat us. But that's not what Paul says here. Paul says that's not what determines the service that we are to have. It is a service that is done to Christ. And if you... You know, the beauty of this is if, if you keep your eyes fixed upon Jesus and you see everything you do as a tribute to him who loves you and who died for you, then I love the way Sinclair Ferguson says, he says, then built into your life is a secret chamber of worship that is there all day long. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That there is this built in chamber of worship. That no matter what kind of jerks you got to deal with during the day, what kind of idiots, you know, and I'm using those terms on purpose. Sometimes we feel like that about other people and we just think, I cannot believe these people. But because our service is not done to them, but to Christ, then our work is like a built-in chamber of worship to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, verse 18, First Peter 2, 18, Paul says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. There's that respect again. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. You see the focus that he calls... Peter does the same thing that Paul does. He, he draws our attention to be mindful of God. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 
You see, uh, even when we are mistreated and wrongly accused and those in authority over us do not treat us as they ought, uh, still it is a thing that is gracious in the sight of God if we are mindful of Him. Now, I think whenever we think of those in authority over us uh, abusing their authority, we oftentimes think of it in terms of them treating us unjustly and being cruel and stuff. I appreciate Rick Phillips' comments on this passage. He's, he, he pointed out the fact that really slaves were oftentimes part of the household. Now, I'm not saying that they were family. They weren't necessarily treated like family, but they were there. They saw everything that went on. They saw when the wife nagged the husband. They saw when the husband wasn't loving to his wife. They saw when the children you know, were disrespectful. They saw the interactions with the neighbors. They saw all the affairs. You know, they, they saw all the warts. And it could be very easy for a slave to look at their master and think, this person is not worthy to, be, to have my respect and my service. And, and many uh, that were slaves in, in Rome's day were well-educated, maybe more able than their masters, maybe even more moral, and it would be very easy for them to have contempt for their masters, even if their masters weren't mistreating them. And so no wonder Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.1 that slaves are to consider their masters worthy of all honor. But that's the attitude that we are to have. And there may be people in your life, and you may be thinking of them right now, people who are in authority over you and who you struggle to have respect for. People that you feel incompetent. You think, I should be the boss. I don't know why the Lord has put them in charge of me. I should be there. But Paul tells us that we should consider them worthy of all honor. And, and he tells us why, and later on in verse 6, he says, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. So as, as they see, as we treat them as a... As, um, as worthy, then it exalts the name of Christ. You know, just as a soldier in the army will salute a uniform, the guy or the gal in the uniform may not be worthy, but they're going to salute that rank because they have been placed there. In, in much the same way as a Christian, we respect those that God has placed in authority over us. And, and I really think that this is really apropos for our culture today because I think that we can struggle sometimes with, like I said uh, earlier, that maybe the attitude that we can have too often when it comes to authority is my rights have been violated. I should not be treated this way or I will only follow this person if they're worthy of my respect. But that's not what God calls us to because we're really following Christ. Second point. As slaves of Christ, we are to have a true sincerity of heart in our service. We're not to serve people as men pleasers, nor are we to serve uh, as, as those um, who are um, just trying to get the approval of, of others. Christ wants to redeem our attitudes and our motives and our actions. We're not to be merely obedient saints outwardly and externally, but also obedient servants in, in our hearts. Uh, Howard uh, Hendrickson in his commentary says, fill your service with energy and enthusiasm with which you would fill it if it were done for Christ. For it really is done for Christ. 
It's to him that you belong. Take then that service of yours and lift it up higher. Do the will of God from the heart with all enthusiasm. You see, when we obey those in authority over us with sincerity, that means with a singleness of heart. In other words, we shouldn't have ulterior motives to our work. You know, it shouldn't be that we should work just for the paycheck or we should work just so maybe we could get more vacation or we should work so that maybe we'll get the approval of our teacher or something like that. But instead, it is that we are to, to serve with sincerity of heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Richard Baxter talked about this and he said, you know, uh, uh, slaves should take more care to not seem trustworthy to, but actually be trustworthy. And I thought, you know, that's really where we're at as a culture today. It seems like people aren't so concerned about character as they are about creating an image, right? Whether it's uh, on Facebook, whether it's in the workplace, it's all about you thinking that I'm competent. It doesn't matter whether I am competent. It doesn't matter whether I'm a hard worker. It doesn't matter whether I have character. I just want you to think that I do. And so we'll work sometimes really hard to create that uh, impression, but that's not really the case. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's about what I appear to be rather than what I am. But that's not the way that Christians are to be. Christians shouldn't be the kind of employees who loaf and sort of goof around and work half-heartedly. And then when they hear the footsteps of their boss, then all of a sudden then they're really busy. And you know they're acting like they've been working really hard. For a long time. That's, that's not the call of a Christian. Just like it's not the call of a Christian to be speeding down the highway over the speed limit. And then when they see a police officer sitting alongside the road clocking people with their gun, all of a sudden then they slow down. Because they want to appear to be a law-abiding citizen and they don't want to get a ticket. But, you know, so, so it's uh, sort of a duplicity of heart there rather than a sincerity of heart. And, you know, we need to understand that this is the same sin that the Pharisees uh, committed. You know, they would be men who would go out and they would give prayers in public. They would fast and they would tithe so that everybody could see what they were doing so that they could look so godly. And what did Jesus say? He said they've already had their reward in full. Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. But to be truly obedient to those in authority over us, we must have hearts submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we might think we're fooling our boss when we act busy when we hear his footsteps. But Jesus Christ was there the whole time. Jesus knows our hearts. And if we are really truly going to be faithful to those in authority over us, we have to have hearts that are submitted to the Lord Jesus. What does Paul say in Colossians 3.23? Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We are to, to serve wholeheartedly as we are serving the Lord. Now, that's not easy in this day and time. And granted, brothers and sisters, I understand that this could get you in trouble in this sense that people could take advantage of you. You know, as you give yourself wholeheartedly and you're working and you're doing a good job or at school... You're doing your best. You're not just trying to get past, getting a grade, just trying to get past the class, but you're working with all your heart. People could take advantage of you. But that's what God has called us to do. And the more we understand and realize God's love for us in Jesus Christ and how he rejoices in us, even our frailties, and has made us his possession, 
the more we will have the gratitude and hearts and sincere to serve him uh, for all his glory. And as Paul says in verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So how can we serve like this? Well, only as we know that Christ gave his life for us and that he died for us and that he served as a slave so that we might serve as slaves with wholehearted service. And then third and finally, we see that as slaves of Christ, there's an accountability to the Lord. Look in verse 9. He talks to masters then and he says, Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Now, that's a different perspective. I, I, I don't know that we can really appreciate how radical that is for Paul to say that. What he's already said to slaves is, is, is amazing, to serve with that kind of service. But can you imagine how contrary what Paul is saying is to the way of the world? I mean, what did Jesus say about authority in Mark 10, 42? But the Gentiles use their authority to lord it over people. I want you to see how important I am. And I'm going to make you pay. I used to have bosses like that that would just make your life miserable. And you're like, why are you doing this? You know, I mean, you'd say it in a polite way, but it's basically you're saying, why are you doing this? And they basically said, because my boss treated me this way. And so I'm going to treat you this way. And it's like, did you like that? And they're like, no, I hated it. And it's like, well, then why are you doing it to me? Well, just because I can. But that sometimes that's the attitude that people have when it comes. And it's to exercise authority over people. But Paul says here uh, words that are really shocking. And what he's basically saying is sort of the golden rule. Masters, do the same to them. As I have called them to do to you, I want you to do the same to them. Promote the welfare of your slaves as you expect them to promote yours. Show the same interest in them and their affairs as you want them to show to you. But it seems like whenever we get any kind of power or authority, we tend to let that corrupt us, do we not? We don't want that to happen, but oftentimes that does. And we have a tendency, if nothing else, to think of ourselves as just a little bit better than the person who is under our authority, right? Can that not be our temptation? We may not want to be cruel to them, but we might think in some sense that we are somehow superior to them. But that's not necessarily true. Uh, here again, we, this passage doesn't tell us everything there is about authority. But Jesus said back in Mark chapter 10 that I quoted earlier, that actually God gives authority not to rule over others, but to serve for the care of those who are under your authority. So the reason you've been given that authority is so that you can care for the benefit of those that serve under you. And he says that we are to stop, that masters are to stop threatening uh, in other words, they are not to, to make threats to get their slaves to do stuff, but they are to lead with graciousness and with kindness. And why do they do that? Because both their master and yours is in heaven. In other words, the master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the same for the slave as it is for the master. And so uh, those that are in authority over others ought to live as such. A great example of this, and you're welcome to turn there if you want, is the book of Philemon 
at the end of the, the New Testament, and before Revelation, Philemon was uh, a master. He had a slave named Onesimus who had run away. And uh, the penalty for a slave who had run away was very severe if he was caught. And Onesimus providentially ended up with hearing Paul preach the gospel and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so he served Paul while Paul was in prison. And so Paul, knowing Philemon, writes a letter to Philemon and, and he sends it back with Onesimus uh, so that uh, Philemon could receive Onesimus with the proper attitude instead of treating him severely as he ought. And this is what we read in Philemon, Philemon uh, in verse 12. He said, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be uh, by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might back, have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. That's the attitude that Philemon was to have towards Onesimus, that he now is more than a slave. He's a brother in Christ, and Philemon should treat him as such. And Paul is telling us, that as God places us in authority over others, that we are to do so understanding that those under our care are most precious in God's sight, that they are made in his image. And it's our responsibility to, to seek to, to foster uh, those gifts and those talents that the Lord has given to them and to care for them in a way that would serve the Lord. Now, as, now as, we, as we look at this passage, I want you to understand it really falls in line with what we've been reading. We've been talking about the home. And we've been talking about the Christian witness that goes on. And that as Christians mutually submit themselves to one another, whether it's wives to their husbands or kids to their parents, or whether it's any of us as we submit to authority appropriately and we... Uh, uh, serve with authority over others as we do that in a godly way we are a Christian witness people see in us something different and and I just think of the number I was as uh, slaves that the Bible talks about and even those that that were well-known Christians we've been reading through the life of Joseph have we not in the Old Testament and how the Lord used him in his slavery uh, to bless those around him and to bear witness to who his God was. Or what about Daniel, who served faithfully in the court of Babylon? Um, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was not a kind king. He destroyed Jerusalem. Uh, and, uh, but yet, Daniel witnessed to him so much so that uh, we see Nebuchadnezzar believing in God. And, and what about uh, Naaman? Remember the story of of Naaman and Elisha and uh, how he came to Elisha to be healed. Well, how did Naaman find out about Elisha in the first place? There was a slave girl, an Israelite slave girl, who told him about a man of God 
who could heal his body. And so even as we serve in those positions, as those under authority, in the way that we live, brothers and sisters, it, it not only sets us free to, to live in situations that are unjust, in situations that are difficult, but it also bears witness to our Lord. And let us, I pray, be a witness to Christ. So Christian, let me ask you, do you believe that the Christian gospel works everywhere? That there's no circumstances in which the Christian gospel is irrelevant? That there are no circumstances so unusual or difficult that the Christian could ever say that the gospel doesn't apply to my life? Then let me encourage you this week, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you interact in the communities in which you live, then live that way, trusting the gospel of Jesus Christ to work in your hearts that you might bring glory to your Lord and Master. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads, if we could, for a moment of silence. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word that you have given to us. It's so easy, Lord, to, to, to see those that are around us um, that treat us unfairly. God, that step all over our quote-unquote rights. Those, Lord, that, that are truly, even from a biblical perspective, maybe hostile and unfair to us. Uh, but Lord Jesus, I thank you that as your bondservants, as your slaves that we are set free not to respond to people like that in like kind, uh, but Lord, that we can show them the love that you have shown to us. Lord, I pray that you would fix our eyes firmly upon you this week. Lord, that as we are, are going about our day-to-day tasks and responsibilities, Lord, that what we would see would be Jesus. I pray, Lord, that our lives would be those chambers of worship, that we could offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, especially as we deal with those that we might consider unjust, unfair, incompetent, whatever the word we want to use. Lord, guard our hearts from pride. Instead, let us love others if you have loved us, even help us, God, to forgive them like you have forgiven us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, and pray these in your name. Amen. Let's take our uh, songbooks and turn to 538. And just as a, a prayer of response to this, let's sing, Take My Life and Let It Be, 538.